I'm Brett McGarry. This week on The Couch Potatoes, if you could see one of your favorites on the big screen once more, which one would it be? Plus... I'm Jeff Braun. I watched a pretty cool movie from Iceland this week. I'll tell you all about it. And I'll tell you about what I watched on Netflix this week as well and why I think you should watch it. We're starting to get a better sense of when the movie business will start to resume theater-wise. The closely watched arrival of Christopher Nolan's big-budget sci-fi espionage film Tenet will finally happen on July 31st, according to Warner Brothers. All I have for you is a word. Tenet. It'll open the right doors. Some of the wrong ones, too. Use it carefully. Tenet stars John David Washington, Robert Pattinson, and Michael Caine, of course, as it is a Christopher Nolan movie. It's an espionage action thriller where time doesn't work like it does in real life, of course, because it's a Christopher Nolan movie. He does that a lot. The studio says it'll delay the release by two weeks and instead reissue Nolan's 2010 sci-fi blockbuster Inception in mid-July when Tenet was supposed to come out. The release date for Tenet has been closely watched in all corners of the film industry, which has faced sh- shuttered theaters due to the coronavirus since mid-March. The movie theaters plan to reopen in July for a vastly different summer season than the one the industry had planned. The Marvel film Black Widow, the ninth installment in the Fast and Furious franchise, both expected to arrive earlier this summer, but they've delayed their releases. Warner Brothers also announcing Wonder Woman 1984 is shifting from an August release to October 2nd. Tenet arriving in theaters a week after Disney's live-action version of Mulan is released on July 24th, a couple of months later than planned. Uh, in the U.S., AMC Theaters, the world's largest theater operator, said this week it expects to have 97% of its locations open by mid-July. In Canada, Cineplex has announced plans to open a handful of theaters in Alberta next weekend. And this will vary from province to province going forward, of course. And everything, I'm sure, is pretty tentative, depending on how the pandemic progresses. But keep an eye out as things are start to reopen. Nothing will be at full capacity for quite a while, I would imagine. But, Brett, we are starting to see a start to the reopening of the movie theaters in North America and around the world. Yeah, and it's interesting that Tenet is going ahead because I think we briefly discussed this recently where would Christopher Nolan even want to release this movie if he doesn't have access to full capacity, but at the same time this is a solid starting gun kind of movie to say, okay, we're back or let's get back at it uh, because this is not a movie that I want to wait to see at home. Christopher Dolan movies are always so big and loud and explodey and they, they must be seen on a big screen to truly enjoy them. Like when I first saw Inception, uh, one of the few films I've given the sectional to because it just blew my mind. And uh, I, it was one of the, the rare films where I didn't just like want to go back to see it again. I needed to see it again because it was such an assault on my senses. And that's what Tenet looks like. The first time I saw the trailer, I thought, what is this? Of course, yeah. it's a Christopher Nolan movie. Uh, so yeah, but... I don't know. And it's cool that they're re they're going to reissue Inception too. So I like that. 
And of course, with Cineplex, I guess they're going to be wanting to open as quickly as possible whenever they get the green light to do so because they had that deal with Cineworld fall through, the over $2 billion deal with that theatre company out of uh, the UK. So that's got to hurt for Cineplex. I know their share has been falling since they haven't been able to open. Um, so yeah, uh, would you are you prepared, Jeff, to go back to the movies? Yeah, if they've got proper social distancing measures in place, I've got no problem with going back to the movies at all. I don't think my, my girlfriend is maybe a little bit more hesitant, but she doesn't want to see Tenet anyway. So uh, <laughs> me and like my bro movie buddies will be all in on this, I think. Okay, well now this whole topic uh, kind of got us thinking about something. We're wondering if movie studios should, should consider doing this, and I'll use some audio to set this up in a moment, uh, because illustration is better than explanation. I bought the Avengers Endgame Blu-ray a couple of weeks ago, finally got it on Blu-ray. I had access to it on Disney+, Plus, but I was using it through my Google Chromecast, and the quality, while not awful, is not as good as a Blu-ray. And uh, so I, I find when I'm bored, which is quite often, uh, I've just been putting on the final battle scene, which is so emotionally charged, and I've been watching it actually almost every day. Uh, it's getting to the point where I even turned it off, I think, halfway through yesterday, because after watching it 12 times, you go, okay, I think I need a break from this. Uh, but I went back and did watch some of the audience reaction video that was on Twitter a couple of months back, and we actually played some of that uh, a few weeks back. But just listen to this scene when the Avengers in Avengers Endgame begin to assemble when all hope seems lost. So that's just one example of the crowd going insane during that movie. There are so many videos from that opening night and the videos just, they they made me emotional watching them back in uh, late March or early April when they released them and they still make me emotional. And when things get back to normal, I feel like this is a movie they should re-release so that we can once again experience and share in this special moment together. This movie is the perfect example of a movie that brings people together, not just in the theater, but around the world online. I mean, and say what you will about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I know all you have to do is say those three words, and a lot of people will roll their eyes. But what they created with that franchise and the way that they built up to the culmination of that story was such an achievement and people were so invested in it and we saw just how invested with the gigantic box office numbers that movie pulled and movies get re-released in theaters all the time you know there are special events like film festivals or just like they have these sort of nostalgia nights or throwback uh, nights but uh, Generally speaking, any time I've gone to one of these, there's almost no one there. Like, I remember yeah. going to see The Matrix. Uh, it, had been, it was playing, like, I think two or three nights. And there were six people in the movie theater. Four of them were in my group. And then there were two other people there by themselves watching this movie on a Friday night. So I think part of that is because, A... 
largely people just don't even know these movies are being re-shown. And B, there's no urgency because it's not a studio event, right? Like if Marvel Studios puts out an ad campaign and says, come relive the magic together, I'd go back and see Endgame for sure. Or maybe you could even do a double bill Infinity War and Endgame. That's a long day. Maybe you make it like a double bill weekend. Uh, But that got us thinking, you know, what event movies, specifically event movies that bring people together, would you want to see? So, uh, Jeff, what have you got here? Well, I'm going to start with also uh, not a double bill, but an octo bill, I think. (laughs) How about a marathon of the Fast and the Furious franchise? On the street. It don't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Winning is winning. It's not who you know. My brother likes you. Usually he doesn't like anybody. It's how fast you can go. Smoke them. The Fast and the Furious. Rated PG-13. At theaters Friday. Big, dumb action movies always play better in the theater. And there are a few franchises bigger and dumber than The Fast and the Furious. And since we won't get number nine for a while, why not do a weekend marathon of the first eight? You could break it up over two days, I would imagine. Uh, it'd be interesting, A, to watch how increasingly crazy these movies get. B, to see how Paul Walker's acting improves dramatically over the course of the series, especially as they give him fewer lines. And C, to see how Vin Diesel increasingly ages out of being an action star, but refuses to stop being an action star. Brett, my man is 52, but he pretends like he's still 28. But there's a reason he stays behind the wheel of the car for most of these movies and doesn't really run a lot. But I'd love to go see all the Fast and Furiouses play in a theater again. Well, and these two are movies uh, that are actually a really good example of movies that bring people together because the the Fast and the Furious franchise has evolved to be such a, a juggernaut, not just because of what it does in North America, but how well it plays around the world because it was one yeah. of the first big franchises that had a really diverse cast, right? So you've got audiences from countries all over the place uh, who want to get in on this. And the Fast and the Furious 2, it's, it's a globe-trotting franchise. Like, these guys you know, they go from street racing and stealing stuff to going to Brazil and and uh, Dubai. Like they're all over the map, all over the world, jumping, dropping cars out of airplanes. Yeah, it's like, amazing. Yeah. So I think this is. Uh, I would definitely like to go see this too. Even if I can just pick and choose. Like I'd love to see Fast Five again on the big screen or Furious uh, Seven. Yep. would be emotional oh, yeah. as well because of it was Paul Walker's uh, final uh, installment in that franchise. So, yeah, great pick. And up next is one that I never actually got to see in theaters, so I'm really glad that you pulled this one out. We'll tell you what that is next. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. With theaters set to start reopening in the next month or so in spots across the country and North America, we're looking at some of the old classic event movies that we'd love to see back up on the big screen to maybe fill some of the programming holes that these theaters will have while Hollywood rolls out the new movies here and there. And we talked about Avengers Endgame, the Fast and the Furious franchise. And next on my list, I'll be first in line if they ever put Ghostbusters back on the big screen. Ghosts, they're real, they're here. And someone's got to stop them. It's a job for professionals. It's a job for the Ghostbusters. Hey, anybody see a ghost? They're the best. The brave. The only. Ghostbusters. Coming to save the world this summer. We're ready 
I did see Ghostbusters in theaters when it first came out in 1984, an ill-advised trip in the Braun family that scarred my little sister, five years old at the time, for life. I was eight and also had nightmares, but I really enjoyed everything except for the scene where the dog thing busts out the chair and grabs Sigourney Weaver. Uh, my girlfriend has sons aged nine and 12. They are dying to see it. They're finally both old enough. And it of course, it helps that they're not scaredy cats like I was. So I would love for Ghostbusters to be back on the big screen and go see that again. I'm also curious to see what kids age 9 and 12 would think of a movie like Ghostbusters because for us, the visual effects were astonishing. But yeah. they might look at that same scene that scares you and think, this yeah. is ridiculous. Uh, but, I mean, a, a good story trumps bad visual effects or outdated visual effects, I think. So, I don't know. If you ever do watch it, uh, yeah. Just update us. What did the kids think of <laughs> Ghostbusters? But yeah, that's a great call, and that's the movie I never got to see in theaters because it came down to either going to see that or Supergirl. My sister wanted to see Supergirl. I wanted to see Ghostbusters. We basically did paper, rock, scissors, or flipped a coin or something. I can't remember. Supergirl won, and uh, uh, I was bitter forever. So yeah, I was going to say, do you still carry a grudge? I'd have a chip on my shoulder about that for life against my sister. I still in, I enjoyed Supergirl because I was a kid and I was dumb, but uh, yeah. I wish that I had gotten to see Ghostbusters on the big screen as a kid. Right that would have been really cool. Um, I was too young to see this next one in theaters on its initial release, so I'd love to go get a look at 30 stories of sheer adventure on the big screen with Die Hard. They've seized a building and taken hostages. One man has managed to escape and is trapped inside. I'm starting to get a bad feeling up here. John McClane didn't want to be a hero. Send the police now! But he's the only chance they've got. Bruce Willis in Die Hard. For his stories of sheer adventure. Rated R. Now playing in selected cities. Starts Wednesday, July 20th at theaters everywhere. Oh, he said 40 stories. I said 30 stories. They were on the 30th floor, I think, was where the party was happening. Anyways, I suspect if you saw Die Hard in theaters now, a lot of people would be quoting the lines out loud all the way through. I'm pretty sure I would because I do it at home every single time I watch it. Uh, what can you say? It's still the best action movie of all time, even though it may not have the biggest explosions. It's just a fun ride, and let's face it, when we watch... Die Hard at Home are probably distracted a lot with our phones or whatever, or sometimes I know it's just playing in the background while I'm cleaning. So I think the experience of being in a darkened theater with no distractions would renew my appreciation for it. I have seen this movie on a big screen, actually. It was on an IMAX screen. It wasn't in IMAX. This was just when the local IMAX theater would sometimes replay older movies like The Matrix and yeah. Die Hard. So is it just, it was like basically watching it on a a regular screen for all intents and purposes. And and that, that one, actually, there there were quite a few people at that one. And this is the kind of movie that it's just gained so much steam over the years. I mean, every year it's the annual debate, and we're not going to reopen the debate, but it's the debate, <laughs> is this a Christmas movie or not? So you could release Die Hard as a summer event kind of movie. You could re-release it as a Christmas film. Um, but again, I think with the marketing, like, hey, this is one of the most beloved action films of all time. As you said, I think it's yeah. still the gold standard by which people sort of measure action movies. It's always like, it's die hard on a bus. It's die hard on a boat. It's die hard in a grocery store or whatever, right? So there are a few films I can think of that uh, would be as good to see again on a big screen with a crowd of people. As you pointed out, I think that would be super fun, Jeff, uh, with you know quoting the movie along while it's yeah. plugging along. 
Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yes, that's right. That, that's the one I always do. <laughs> when he pulls out the, the book. Um, yeah. And now for me, I was trying to think of other ones. I think the Lord of the Rings saga would be wonderful because that's about people coming together. Uh, and the whole point of this is to bring people together. they got to come together for this adventure. Uh, the, even the original Star Wars saga. But I'll just play a quick, I'll play a quick chunk of this next clip that I've harvested here. They've stumbled onto a legend, but they're not alone. Chunk, I hope that was your stomach. No. The Goonies, the Goonies from the mid '80s. Uh, any kid who grew up in the '80s loved the Goonies. What a fun adventure! And I just think this would be a perfect nostalgia throwback. I think it would be great for families, for people who are now grown up and have kids of their own who want to take their kids to see the Goonies. It it, it plays for all ages, and hopefully the movie studios actually do start doing this. As you pointed out, they're going to have some holes to fill. But up next, we're going from the local box office to Iceland. Jeff's got a cool movie to tell you about in a moment. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Really curious to hear about this movie that Jeff watched this week, and he's going to tell you about that in a moment. I hadn't even heard of it, and after watching the trailer today, I need to add it to my list post-haste. But first, I previewed it last week. I will review it this week. Season 2 of the excellent dating show on Netflix, Dating Around. I'm not a trope shway. Uh, what are you doing? It's an experience. I'm ready to keep the party going. You feel like the shit? I do. Oh my god! I. What? Can I kiss you now? To recap, season one came out on Valentine's Day last year. Six episodes, all under a half hour each. One single person goes on five blind dates with the hope of picking a match good enough for a second date. It was unlike any other dating show I have ever seen. Excellent production value. It's got great camera work, great editing, and no corny narration. Just the dates, raw, complete with awkward silences. And I think that's where not having the narrator really helped because normally there'd be a comment like, uh-oh, or whoops, or oh, he went there. And I mean, hey, <laughs> that, that stuff is fun. Like We've talked about trashy dating shows before. They've got their place. Uh, I think they're, they're great for what they are. But in this, not having the narrator, I think really elevated the show and it allows you to just focus on you know, how difficult it can be to get out there and find love. Like, dating is hard. Connecting people can w- connecting with people can be hard, and it's just awkward. And this show is also elevated by the fact that it has such a diverse cast of, you know, shall we say, characters. Uh, it's not just hunky guy goes out with five hot skinny blondes. You know, it's normal people of all ages, races, sizes, sexual orientations. And it was so refreshing because it became way more relatable to just see all of these normal people like the second episode of this season 
Uh, like every every episode starts with the person getting ready and get, fixing the hair and getting dressed, and you've got various voices chiming in, like the person's mother or the person's best friend, saying, "You know, this is a genuinely nice guy," and uh, unfortunately, nice guys finish last. And he looked pretty cool. But then he opened his mouth and he was so awkward and he had this just like, oh, hello there. Are you my date? Oh, I, 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 do you want it? Should we go inside? And it was the entire episode was, it felt like watching a train wreck unfold. And yet his nervous energy seemed to charm these people. But it just, I thought that reminds me of me on dates because I can be so awkward and stumbly. So it was kind of nice to see that these people weren't all picture perfect and they didn't they weren't all super smooth they're just normal people in some cases kind of dorky trying to figure it out so that i think is cool you know there is value of course in those shows where everyone looks like they've descended from mount olympus because that's just sheer escapism this feels more real and as someone who is currently navigating the dating scene once more i really enjoyed that element of it uh, because it's a nice reminder that you know just because I'm awkward sometimes doesn't mean uh, that I'm unique, right? I'm just like everybody else trying to figure it out. Season two, just as good as season one. I think the one thing that was missing was they didn't do an episode with older singles. Like last year, they had one with a guy who I think was in his 60s. And at first, I thought, this is odd. But it, that very quickly went away. And it was actually refreshing seeing the older singles because they had no filter. You know, they're past the point of caring what you think if you don't like what they have to say. They just say what they want to say they're going to be themselves they didn't do the older uh singles episode this year but they did have a woman go on blind dates with both men and women so that was neat to see how she interacted with both and uh, to see just how natural it was so even if you don't like dating shows i still recommend this because it's just damn good television you know this is a dating show that strives for excellence i've heard it described before and i've said this before uh, described as prestige reality tv and they nail it so check it out on netflix dating around it's a quick binge 12 episodes total watch it as a single person or as a couple i think it is super fun I can never get into dating shows, but every time you talk about this one, it really does make me want to go watch it. So maybe I will check that out when I and it's get just a cr- minute or two to do that. And just yeah. the, the, it's really crafty with the way they they edit it. Like there there will be these transitions where like one scene the single is asking a question or is answering a question from. Uh, one of their blind dates and then the camera will pan to the single person answering the question and then it'll pan back and it's a different date so like some of the editing tricks are really neat in the, the way that they put it all together like it's just masterfully crafted like they, I'm, it's, I'm not exaggerating this is a really well put together show so just for in the enjoyment of the craft of the art of TV I think this is solid gold right on that was Dating Around on Netflix, as he said. And uh, I watched a new Icelandic movie this week, which is available now on iTunes, and it's called A White White Day. And yes, it is in 
Icelandic. First off, the title, A White White Day. Uh, bad timing, I guess, but the movie has nothing to do with race relations. The White White Day in question refers to the white fog that covers the town in which the story takes place on the coast of Iceland. The movie's about the police chief in that town who's taking time off from work as he grieves the death of his wife who died in a car crash on a foggy day. The chief, played by Ingvar Sigurdsson, spends a lot of time hanging out with his granddaughter and he's renovating this house in the countryside for his daughter's family to move into when he's done. The rental work, I believe, is supposed to, you know, keep him busy and focus on something while he goes through his grief. But he is a police investigator through and through, so when he stumbles onto a clue that suggests his late wife may be having an affair, he can't help but investigate. He's also in some sort of mandatory therapy, which he does not enjoy in the slightest. And all these things are sort of working in concert to maybe push him over the edge. There's a trauma, a nagging hunch, an inability to deal with his feelings. It's all a bad recipe. It's not the first time the Couch Potatoes, of course, have traveled to Iceland. We've been talking about the Netflix show Trapped, which is a crime show set in Iceland, and we've both really liked it, although I have yet to watch the second season. So it's no surprise that about half the cast of this movie was in Trapped, as I imagine the film production community in Iceland is not insanely huge or anything, so they probably get a, whatever shoots in Iceland bunch of these people show up and everything. In fact, the main character, this police chief, he was one of the police officers in Trapped. That small force had three people. He was not the main guy, but he was the other guy in it. Uh, here he's the chief and the main guy in what is also a three-person police force in a small community. And since this is a movie, not a TV series, the story's more focused. In fact, the story is pretty simple and straightforward here. It's also much more internal. There's not a lot of dialogue at all, and it's very patient in its storytelling. It's probably, frankly, a little slower than a lot of people like. I found myself growing a little impatient at times. Uh, this Ingvar Sigurdsson has to do all the heavy lifting with his expressions and just how he carries himself physically. It's all very effective. The little girl who plays his granddaughter is really good too. Kid actors, of course, are always a wild card. And she goes through some stuff. She's more than just set decoration and she really does rise to the acting challenge in front of her. The movie is gorgeous, uh, not especially with the scenery like we've seen in other Scandinavian adventures, but just the framing of the shots and the smooth camera work which seems to glide at times it's eerily beautiful in many places and sometimes it's just eerie the movie is a bit of a downer i'm not gonna lie to you about that there's not a whole lot of humor there's not a whole lot of exciting action like i said it can drag a bit here and there uh it's not pretending to be a comedy or an action movie by any means it does achieve its goals i think but the dragging could maybe take you out of it a little bit i will recommend it for those looking for something different something a little arty but uh don't think I'll recommend it if you're looking for something, you know, to lift up your spirits. But I give a white, white day, three and a half couch cushions out of five. And you can check it out now on iTunes. It is at 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, my question is, how did you even stumble upon this? Uh, the company in, in Canada that's charged with uh, distributing it actually literally sent us an email saying hey, if you guys are looking for something, there's this. So I said, hey, all right, not. We've, everything that's come out of Iceland that we've seen so far we enjoyed, so I'll take a shot on this. Okay, good call. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I, I forgot. I, I saw that email now that you mentioned it, and I just <laughs> forgot to reply to it. But yeah, Iceland, uh, you mentioned Trapped. I mean, I've been, I've been raving about that show for a few years now. And I, there's just something about 
Well, A, the way that they they shoot and the way that they film and tell their stories, as you mentioned, it's uh, a little bit slower. Uh, sometimes just even those longer establishing shots or those longer transition shots where they hold the camera for five seconds or ten seconds, it A, gives you just a chance to reset and you realize, okay, we're moving into something else. But B, it also just gives you a moment to observe the beauty of that country. It is such a neat-looking place. So the the setting alone, the, the scenery alone becomes a character in these stories. So, yeah, it's cool to see so much great work coming out of Iceland and that it's, you know, and thanks to the, all these streaming services, now we're easily gaining access to stuff that we never would have been able to watch probably even five years ago. So I might have to check it out, even though it's on iTunes and I don't really like the iTunes, but... <laughs> might have to give it a shot. There you go. I also just want to quickly mention, we were talking about disaster movies in recent yeah. weeks. Well, I went out. Well, I went, went out. I went home and I watched this. The suck zone. It's the point. Basically, at which the twister sucks you up. Twister! That was the whole impetus for our conversation because the Screen Junkies on YouTube did an honest trailer on Twister and it was amazingly funny and it triggered our whole conversation about our favorite disaster movies and uh, that actually prompted me to go home and watch Deep Impact because I'd never seen it. I hate that movie. But Twister, I loved that movie when it first came out and I've seen it probably over a dozen times over the years but I was also curious to see if I would still enjoy it as much because when I first saw it, I was 18 years old. Right? So everything was still like kind of cool. Plus because I saw it in theaters as an 18-year-old, it's got that nostalgia feel, right? Like, you know, you're part of my formative years, 18 to 24. But uh, I was amazed at how much this movie still blows me away, I guess figuratively and literally in the sense that it's a movie about tornadoes because, like, I put on my uh, surround sound headphones. I live in an apartment, so I can't have this big, loud, booming stereo, but I got these really nice surround sound headphones. And the sound in this movie, I still don't understand how it didn't win... An Oscar. I looked up, looked it up. It was nominated, but it didn't win for best sound because it is so good. I, I think it is the uh, the the movie you should put on if you have a fancy surround stereo that you want to show off for your friends. Put on Twister because it sounds great and that amazing sound combined with the visuals that are actually still pretty good uh, for much of the film. It's just so immersive and so thrilling, like in that final scene where they're running from the F5 tornado, which, by the way, is ridiculous. Like, this tornado is pulling uh, pieces of the fence off off of its, uh, pulling planks off the fence and firing them through the air like javelins, and everything is being picked up, tractors are being picked up, houses are being picked up, but hey, Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt, they're running along and it's not picking them up, but it doesn't matter how dumb it is because it was so exciting and so thrilling, (laughs) so yeah, I would highly recommend watching Twister again if you haven't watched it for a while. I think it's uh, it was on Amazon Prime or Prime Video where I checked that out. So much fun, Jeff. You mentioned the Oscars, and I had to look this up to see what it lost to. So Twister was nominated along with The Rock, Independence Day, and Evita, which was that uh, Madonna musical. And they were all nominated. They all lost to The English Patient, which is one of my favorite movies. All right. But honest to God, it would have been in that little side of the last thing I would have voted for in the sound department. There is nothing particularly special about the sound in The English Patient. There's... There is a sandstorm, but, I mean, the tornado trumps that big time. 
I'm, pardon me. I it was on. It's on Crave. It's not on Prime Video. It's on Crave. I'm just checking this uh, Just Watch app to be sure because I thought I can't. I don't really remember. That's the problem. There are so many streaming services now. You can't remember where everything is hiding. Uh, but thanks for looking that up because I was curious about that and I forgot. Of course, the English patient. Hey, up next we got some news about the Oscars. Some big changes coming. Details in a moment. You're listening to the Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And we've got a couple of minutes left. Time to talk a little Oscar news. Seems to be coming out every week now. And the Oscars are being postponed a couple of months. Reporter Jason Nathanson tells us the 93rd Academy Awards will now be held eight weeks later than originally planned. And the Oscar goes to... Usually, we hear that in February. But next year's ceremony is being pushed back two months to April 25th because of the COVID-19 pandemic and to give filmmakers more time to finish their films. April 25th will be the latest the Oscars have ever been held and the fourth time in history they've been postponed. The Academy also deciding to extend the eligibility window for feature films beyond the calendar year to February 28th, 2021. And they said a couple days before they said all that, that there will be 10 Best Picture nominees starting in 2022, not up to 10, which has been the case of past decades. So starting the year after this coming Oscars, it'll be 10 for sure every year going forward. That's the plan, at least for now. So, I mean, I don't think it's any surprise here that they're postponing this a couple, eight weeks, two months, like they said, and that they're extending the eligibility another two months just so uh, they have room to fit in all the movies, give them some screen time before the deadlines, and probably a few that would be eligible still need to be finished. A lot of things will have shut down sort of halfway through production sort of deal. On the subject of the 10 best picture nominations uh, where it's yeah. going to be nominated, like it will always be 10. What do you think of that? Because I have some mixed emotions. Um, I, I like that it takes away the little, because it's always the day before it's like, oh, will it be 10 or will it only be nine or will it only be eight? And not having to worry about that or think about that or even read a sentence about that will be fine with me. I, I don't mind if there's 10. Of course, it's going to you know make it harder to watch all of them in time. Yeah, and I think, too, the the thing with that is you know that inevitably it's going to become a two- or three-horse race, and seven of the movies won't won't have a shot. Some of the movies that get nominated will never have a shot. I mean, it'll be nice to have that acknowledgement, right? Like a movie like Black Panther uh, wouldn't have been nominated, I don't think, if it was just five. Uh, it never stood a chance, I think, of, of actually winning the trophy. But right. um, I don't know. I think it, it just, to me, it kind of seems like a ploy to just try to get more people to pay attention so that they can sneak in some of those more popular uh titles even though those popular titles will never ever win i mean i guess it's i i shouldn't say never ever it's it's not out of the realm of possibility that a popular movie will ever win an the best picture oscar but i just i find it unlikely but hey that's all the time we've got i'm brett he's jeff we are the couch potatoes make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already and remember if it requires getting up off the couch don't bother